Well, it is great. Uh, it is great to be a Christian. It's <laughs> just singing songs like that. I mean, that's just phenomenal. I was thinking as Mark was leading us how um, ridiculous this message of the gospel must sound to a person who's not a believer. I mean, that God came in human flesh, suspended in the air, poured out his blood for you, for us, for sinners. I mean, th- there is no message anywhere in the world like that. And um, it-, it is such a privilege to be here to worship uh, with the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. Um, so thankful to God. If you have a pew Bible, um, you can track with me by following it on page 977 and 978. That's where we're going to be today, 977 and 978. And I want to read Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. Uh, before I read this, let me just say this. Um, this message was very exposing uh, to my heart, and I hope and trust that it's exposing to your heart. That's the point of coming here on Sunday mornings, is to be exposed to the Word of God and have that Word uh, speak into our life. And, ha- and God is, intends to speak certain things into our lives this morning And so I just want us to have a climate and a context of humility before the Lord, and we're going to pray for that, that we will all um, be broken and sincere before the Word of God, because there are certain things that every one of us needs to uh, take home from this message today, from Ephesians chapter 4. And I trust that God will give us that. Let me pray. Father, we ask that even this morning, before we get into this text Uh, Before we start on this trajectory, uh, that you would produce in our hearts the type of climate that makes us um, not only hungry for your word, but humble before your word, so that we are receivers of the word and that we don't resist it. Lord, that's our bent. That's our reaction. We often want to defend ourselves. We often want to assume that we are better than what the text is saying about us. Lord, we don't want to try to weasel out of this. We want to be laid bare, and we want to be exposed, and then we want to be comforted with the gospel. And so, Lord, the the fact is, this is a beautiful thing, we praise you for it, that since the gospel is true, we have no fear of being exposed, because the comfort is there. Our sins have been forgiven. And so, we we, we pray that you would do that this morning, that work of exposure. And after that happens... Lord, that you would comfort us with your gospel, motivate us with your grace, and that we would just be a new people, a changed people, a transformed people uh, for for your sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read 11 through 16. Speaking of God, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, 
until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, this morning we're continuing our series, uh, which we have entitled, uh, What in the World?, are we doing here? Uh, Mark opened that series, helpfully to us, by unpacking the glory of God. We exist uh, beyond everything else, higher than everything else, as our greatest motive uh, to promote the glory of God. We do that because God is the most God-centered being in the universe. He demands glory, He commands glory, and He's worthy of all glory and praise and honor. So, for us not to have that as our number one duty uh, would be for us to to not recognize the most fundamental task of of the of, of the Christian life in the church. After that, Pastor Sam then um, unpacked for us uh, the second part of our mission statement, uh, which says we seek to glorify the God of Scripture by promoting His worship. And 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 this morning, what I'm going to do is take the third statement in our mission statement and unpack that. What I, what I want to do, though, for us today is I want to preach expositionally from Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. And, and I want to show you that our mission statement is not just something we have created. I think uh, Pastor Sam and my dad, uh, as they sat and wrote this, I, that's not something they created on their own. It's not something that just came out of their head. This is something that was driven by a deep conviction about what God's Word has to say uh, about certain realities. And, and so statement number three comes right out of Scripture. So there's no reason uh, to, to really preach a message on equipping and edifying uh, that, that has anything else to do with uh, than Ephesians chapter 4, because this text, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, is really where this comes from fundamentally. So I want to exposit that text. Now, uh, before we just rip into the middle of Ephesians, uh, let me provide a little bit of background and context for you. Uh, because I know that's hard. All right? You just flip open a book, you go right into chapter 4. Not only are we going right into chapter 4, but we're actually going to start in verse 11, which starts with the word and. <laughs> so we need a little bit of context. A little bit of context. Um, I'm teaching a class right now in Disciple U on the book of Ephesians. And so I'm, we're, we're living in Ephesians, and we're going to live there for the next several weeks. This is a glorious book. It's a great book. And um, this is basically where from chapter 1 to chapter 4 what has happened. Listen to this, okay? I'm going to kind of summarize this for you, and I, I want you to listen to this. This is kind of what, what has been going on from Ephesians 1 through 4. There is one God. He is the Creator. He's the Father, Son, and Spirit. He has made us in His own image, but we have sinned. 
We've all sinned and we've violated God's decrees and commands. We have walked away from Him. And because of that, we are disconnected from God. And not only are we disconnected from God, we're disconnected from each other because of that sin. But God the Father, however, He devised a plan to save us and to remedy our condition. He concerned Himself with our affairs and our estate. And so God the Father, we just sang about it, sent God the Son to the earth, Jesus Christ, and He came in absolute humility as God. As God. In His life on the earth, His ministry involved Him being a prophet who spoke prophetic words on behalf of the Father, Jesus being an apostle of sorts who founded the church, who is the head of the church, who is the cornerstone of the church, Jesus being an evangelist who came to seek and save the lost, Jesus being a teacher who was a rabbi, he had disciples and he taught the scriptures, Jesus being a pastor who took care of those in need, he cared for them, and he's even called the great shepherd or the good shepherd. Jesus lived a life without any sin, and he revealed God to us. You want to know who God is? You look to Jesus Christ. Jesus then was ultimately betrayed and killed, and the wage for sin is death. And when Jesus died, he died not for his sins, but for the sins of his people. That's us. In his death, he took away the sin of his people, and he did this so that we could be reconciled to God and to each other. And he did all of that so that we can have church, among other things. And those are the great themes of Ephesians. Jesus is working to take away our sins and the sin of his people that separates us from God and from each other so that we can have church, so that we can be church, and so that we can be Christians. And that takes us to Ephesians chapter 4. And, and I want to start this way. I have a deep confidence that God is doing a great work at Heritage Baptist Church. I believe that. I hope you believe that. I think you do believe that. And there is so much potential here for God-honoring, life-transforming uh, ministry that can happen in this place. There is so much potential. And we're the only ones holding ourselves back from uh, reaching greater heights. Um, but we will not reach our potential as a church if we fail to follow the manual correctly. This is the manual, isn't it? So my aim this morning is to unpack God's pattern for your life in the church and persuade you and plead with you to form life-changing relationships in this body. In this body. And I, I want us to look at the Magna Carta, if you will, of, of, church, of a church manual of church ministry, and that's Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. I mean, this provides a blueprint for us. This text provides a, all that we need to know how we need to live life together within the church. And if we follow this pattern, we can experience the fullness of church life as the New Testament pictures it. But we have a long way to go, admittedly, and so we're going to do this together. And, uh, and the thought came to my mind this week is, is, if you look at the church, really the divorce rate in the church is really not that different from the divorce rate in the world. I mean, this is what the statistics say. Now, and when I say the church, I don't mean the true church because I believe that among God's true people, the, the divorce rate has to be much lower. I believe that it's going to be much lower. But among professing church-going people, 
uh, the divorce rate is really about the same. And there's a lot of problems in the church. So when we come together on Sunday mornings and you're sitting there with a lot of other broken people, so let's just confess that up front. We're all a broken people. So if you're broken and you feel that your life is messed up, you have really messed things up, then you need to realize that you're here in good company. You're here with a lot of broken people who need a lot of help, and that's why we come together. Uh, we're here, and, and, and this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And, and, and look, there are people here with painful memories of the past in a room this large. And I just want to tell you, and Pastor Sam prayed it, there is forgiveness for you in Jesus Christ. And you're here with a lot of broken people. Look, we're all looking for the same help from God and through Jesus Christ. I trust that you find it. I trust that you find it. And, and I've asked myself the question. I've wondered, look, if the church really isn't all that different in, in terms of who gathers on Sunday morning, there's a lot of broken people and a lot of messed up lives, what is the deal, all right, especially among those who are genuine believers? I mean, the question I've, I was asking myself this week is, if we are genuine believers, why are our lives messed up? Look, you, you even believe you're a Christian. You'll say, I know I'm a believer. I have full assurance that I'm a Christian. But look, I got some messed up patterns of behavior and sin in my life that need to be worked out. And, and I come, and I can't seem to get through those things, and I need help. And you know that you're in a place of needing help. And, and I ask myself the question, what, is there something wrong with how we're doing things around here that's not helping us grow more as Christians? I mean, really, let's ask that question. Could it be that we are not experiencing relational and interpersonal and supernatural church life the way that God anticipates us to experience it because of our fault? Because we are not following the New Testament pattern, Acts 2, everyone having everything in common, sharing things together. We're not following that as we should. So we have psychological problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, self-identity problems, financial problems, career problems, loneliness, addictions, phobias, weaknesses. And we begin to ask ourselves the question, is there an organic flaw in the way that we are experiencing corporate church life because some of us are not running the plays according to the playbook? So what's the playbook say about how we should be doing life together in the church? So really the thesis of this message is this. Listen to this. This is my thesis. God is glorified when his church is edified. God is glorified when his church is equipped and edified. And I want to unpack that from our mission statement and ultimately from Ephesians 4. So I asked Blake if you would put the mission statement on the screen so you can see this. This is the mission of Heritage Baptist Church. Let me read this. This church exists by the grace of God for the glory of God, which shall be the ultimate purpose of all of its activities. We seek to glorify the God of Scripture, Ephesians 3.21, by promoting His worship, edifying and equipping the saints, and I want to insert the word by, because it's intended there, it's implied, by edifying and equipping the saints, by evangelizing the nations, by planting and strengthening churches, calling other assemblies to biblical faithfulness and purity, and ministering to the needy, thus, in that way, in that manner, thus proclaiming and defending God's perfect law and glorious gospel of grace throughout the world. That's a great statement. And I think that 
Um, did, did you write that with Pastor Sam, you two together? I think that when the Lord, when you guys wrote that, the Lord greatly helped you. Because I think that is a extremely helpful summation of who we should be as a church. And, and our mission statement says, and I want to double-click on this statement right here, which concerns us today. We seek to glorify God by edifying and equipping the saints. That's what it says. We seek to do that by we two things, edify and equip. And we want to look at those two things from Ephesians 4. If you're one who's kind of given to outlines and structure, let me tell you where I'm going. Number one, the goal of the church. The goal of the church, there's many goals, but of in this passage, the goal of the church is the edification of the body, verse 12. That's the goal of the church. Number two, the work of the church. There's two points underneath that. There's the pastor's work. And there's the members' work, the believers and the pastors. Both work. So we have the goal of the church, all right? And then we have the work of the church. And number three, the fruit, or the results of an edified and equipped church. The fruit of the church, uh, we'll look at that. <clears throat> That's where I'm going, okay? So the goal of the church is the edification of the body. I want you to look at verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 12, and I want to show you a connection between our mission statement and, and this. Verse, look, look again at verse 11, and it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for, for building up the body of Christ. So we see in verse 12 that the reason why pastors and teachers are given to the body ultimately is so that the body will be edified. See, all this culminates in the edification of the body. So unless the body is edified, we, we've not followed the system correctly. The body has to be edified. So the ultimate goal here is edification of the body. This is, the, this is a major goal of the church. So I think we could safely say we exist, among other things, to glorify God by seeking the edification of this body. That, that's why we exist. So... All right, so if we're seeking the edification of the body, what happened to the word equipping? Because I thought that was in the mission statement. Well, it is, and it's in the text. Um, and, and so what we have is equip and edify. And, and I want to ask this question. Are these two separate tasks? So is Paul saying, now what I want you to do is, in other words, look, I want you to do three things. I want you to equip, and, and I want you to do ministry, and I want you to edify. Is, is that what Paul's saying? Or... Or is Paul saying that actually equipping and edifying are connected in a certain way that without the equipping, the edification doesn't happen? And I think it's the latter. And I'll tell you why. I think a careful reading of the text reveals that these are not two separate tasks so much as one task leading to the inevitable result of the other. If you read Paul's argument closely, you'll see that the edification and growth of the body in verses in verse 12b, all the way through 16c, look at 12b, the second half of 12, all the way through 16c, you'll see that the edification and growth of the body in those verses are a result of verse 11 and 12. In, in other words, if 11 and 12 don't happen, you can forget about 12 through 16. So there's no edification unless 11 and 12 take place. That's Paul's argument. In other words, he's saying edification is a result of ministry, and ministry is a result of equipping. 
That, that's the flow of Paul's argument here. So in other words, the way the church is built up is as pastors and teachers equip believers to serve one another. I think if Paul were speaking to our church, I think he would say something like this. Heritage Baptist Church glorifies God when its members are built up and edified. This edification happens when members of the body serve and minister to each other, but ministry to each other only happens as pastors equip the members to serve and edify each other. That, that's the structure of Ephesians 4. Now let me get to the heart of the matter by saying it this way. Basically it comes down to this. Pastors equip members to do ministry. Now that's not to say pastors don't do ministry. But we need to, we, some of us may need a little bit of a paradigm shift this morning because we live in a consumeristic, business-like world where, where too many churches model themselves after a corporate business structure, sort of a top-down structure where we raise a lot of money, we get a lot of staff, and we pay all the professionals to do the ministry while we just kind of watch them do that. And we give, and the way we sort of see our ministry is that we're given to support those guys so they can go and do all the ministry. That's a business model. That is not an Ephesians 4 model. Paul is not saying, I want you to be involved in three things, equipping, ministry, and edification. No, he's not saying that because he knows that the latter two, edification and ministry, are dependent on equipping. Totally dependent. So equipping is for the purpose of ministry, and ministry produces edification. So if all of that is true, then, then we see that the end goal of this passage is the edification of the body, uh, and, and since that's true, then we need to know how to get there. And then that's what I'm doing with this message, all right? We're, we're, I'm trying to unpack how we flesh out that process of how we get from equipping to ministry to ultimately edification. So that's point one, is the goal of the church. It's edification, all right? And I just kind of laid out the process of how that happens, but I want to unpack that now by looking at, secondly, the work of the church, the work of the church. The work of the church is look, found in verse 12. Um, it's equipping the body to edify itself. Look at verse 12 again. Ephesians 4, 12. To equip the saints, here it is, for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Okay? So the work of the church is to equip the body to edify itself. And under the work of the church, we have really two sort of segments of people working. We have the pastors here and we have the members here. So there's a pastoral type of work, and there's a membership type of work. So you're sitting there, you're, you're, you're thinking, okay, what's for me? You're the member, so you're, we're going to get to you. But first, in order to make this clear, I want you to understand what pastors are doing. Uh, 12A, pastors equip saints for the work of ministry. That's what they do. Pastors and teachers equip saints. How do they do that? They do it fundamentally by grounding them in the Word through preaching and teaching, through what's happening right now. You are being equipped right now. This is the equipping time. This is the main equipping time of the week. That's why if you miss this time, you're missing something substantial because this is the God-intended time for you to be equipped. You're getting tools right now for your tool belt. This is the main time for you. So imagine with me for a moment 
uh, that you're on a pastoral search committee and you're looking for a new pastor. And uh, you're interviewing prospective candidates for that pastorate. So you ask them, what's your plan? What's going to be your priorities? What's your vision? If you come to this church and you're going to be a pastor, what is your vision? Some of the older members of that church or that pastoral search committee are going to say, well, we expect the pastors to come and visit us. We're older members, and we expect that. Some of the younger members of the church will say, well, look, we, we, we're young couples. We need a lot of attention. We've got kids. We need help, so we expect the pastors to give us attention. Some of the youth will say, look, we expect you to devote time to us because the youth matters. Maybe, maybe others will say you should devote time to a special singing group or feeding the poor or other ministries of mercy. And if you're the sole pastor of a church, you might be responsible for making sure the plumbing and the electricity and the water is working. I mean, really, in a rural pastorate, in a church, guys like Keith Withrow amaze me. Because they actually can do that. <laughs> Don't ask me to fix anything. <laughs> I just learned how to use a weed eater. Basically, the rule of thumb is, if it's got a motor, I shouldn't touch it. All right. Now here, here's the here's the deal: is that a friend of mine uh, in seminary was a uh, whose father was a pastor. He told me this. He said everybody liked my dad, and the reason why they liked my dad was because uh, my dad was uh, so warm-hearted, so serving, and he would actually go and he would serve other people in the church by fixing their roof and and by raking their leaves and doing these things. And and who's not going to love a pastor like that? I mean, this guy not only preaches to me, this guy pastors me, and he rakes my leaves. Let's hire that guy, you know? And and that's a, that's really attractive. But what, I, what I'm asking is, if you're on a pastoral search committee or, and, and you're looking for what's your vision, what are you going to look for in that guy? A guy who rakes leaves? I mean, ultimately, what are you looking for? And on and on the list goes. And so how do we decide what are the primary responsibilities of a pastor? How should we divide up our time throughout the week? So there you are. You're considering somebody, and you want to know what his plan and vision is. Well, what's Paul's answer? What's the Apostle Paul's answer? Think about that. Think about this. Toward the end of his life, here he is in prison, and he's writing what might be his last letter, and he's giving what probably is his final charge to a younger pastor in whom he has invested many years telling this younger pastor what's important. And he says, okay, Timothy, he says, no matter what you do, do this. If you forget about everything else I told you, do not forget this. One day, Timothy, you will stand before God. You will give an account for your life and ministry. And when you give an account, this is what you need to be occupying your time with from this day till that day. Second Timothy 4 Verses 1 and 2. You, you know it, don't you? Don't you? So, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's what he says. Turn to, to, turn to 2 Timothy and notice the context of this charge. 2 Timothy, uh, I want you to look at chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, just, just follow this with me. Follow the, the context here. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul says, 
understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. And we could keep going, okay? Now, look at verse 5. According to verse 5, there are some in the church who only have the appearance of godliness. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, all who desire, here's real godliness, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Okay? But you, Timothy, you pastor, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. How did he learn these things? How did he come to believe these things? Right? Someone was preaching. And what's that? What things has he learned? Verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So Paul is saying this to Timothy. Timothy, do not forget this fact. Do not take these words lightly. These words will train you in righteousness. They will equip the members of your church for every good work. So in light of the days in which Timothy was living and in which we are living, in light of what God's Word is, Chapter 4, verse 1 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions how, I mean, how prophetic and true is this of our nation? And, and will turn from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 40,000 members of a church in Texas? Come on, you've got to be kidding me. If 40,000 people are coming to hear you, there better be a revival taking place. And if it's not a revival, then, then something else is going on. And I'm inclined to think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if this is, a, this is a, a leap here, but I'm inclined to think that there is teachers being suited to fulfill people's own passions, and their own passions are their own self-love, love for self. I, look, when I listen to, to that guy with the effervescent smile, Okay, when I listen, I, I start to kind of feel good about myself. I do. I, I watched one time, and, and, and I got kind of caught up into it. I was three, four, five minutes into it, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a victor. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm a scum. I, I, need, I need the grace of God operative in my life every moment, or I'm in big trouble. So I, I got even I got sucked into it, and I mean I'm not I'm not all that I'm just saying we can get stuck into these things, and we find teachers that suit our passions, and and it's no wonder that that we have such a shallow church. But friends, listen to this: God always creates word. Sorry, God always creates life through His word. Genesis one, He created the universe by speaking. Ezekiel 37, you know what happens there? The valley of the dry bones, right? And, and how do those dry bones come to life? God speaks, all right? And God's Spirit 
breathes life into those dead, dry bones and they arise. And then Christians in the New Testament, we are told that we are born again by the living word. So we're born again as these, as the Spirit of God carries these words into our hearts and makes us new. So more than anything else, this is the job of pastors. This, this is the job of your pastors, is to preach the Word. So let me stop here and make an application. And, and what I want to say is, on Friday and Saturdays, usually when I do sermon preparation, I guard those days. I guard those days with my life because... Because my responsibility to come on Sunday morning is to feed you. 350 people or so, and, and I can't think of a weightier responsibility than to feed you uh, this, this word on Sunday morning. So I have to give myself to the study on Friday and Saturday. So an application would be protect your pastor's time on, on their sermon preparation days. Do you know when, when your pastor is preparing his messages some pastors do it on Mondays, Tuesdays. Some pastors do it on Thursdays and Fridays. Help to guard their time. This is the most important thing that they will do. They are pastors. They are called to do this. They are mailmen delivering God's mail. They're not writing their own letters. They're not preaching their own sermons. No, they're, they're trying to understand what God has said and what he intends to say to you. So they're just delivering mail on behalf of God. At the end of the day, the church does not rise or fall on the pastor's personality. It does not rise or fall on the pastor's words of wisdom. It does not rise or fall on our programs or our clever ideas. Now, those things are good and helpful to a degree. It does not finally rise or fall on our acts of kindness and love, though those certainly give credibility to our preaching. No, the people of God are those who gather around the Word of God to listen and then to follow that word of God. And so the pastor's job, week after week, is to prepare excellent, God-enriched sermons for God's people, whether they like it or not. That's his job. And sometimes men in America talk about being called to preach, but you know, nobody's called to preach. People are called to preach God's word. Nobody's called just to preach. And this is the life of the church is this preaching ministry that gives life to the church, and it's how you are equipped for works of ministry. So we need to ensure that everything we do, uh, the Word is at the center. It's at the center of what we preach. It's at the center of what we teach. It's at the center of what we pray and sing in our times together. And since God creates His people through His Word from Genesis 1 and the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37 and Romans 10 we're told by faith comes through hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, I love Lig Ligon Duncan. He's a pastor in Mississippi. And Ligon um, has a motto that he says, and he summarizes what elements should be included in corporate worship. Listen to this motto. I think it's brilliant. He says, read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. Everything. It's all-encompassing. And by seeing the Bible, what he means is, Come and celebrate the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper. That's how you see the Bible. All right? So, so we read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, see the Bible. We're just Bible people. We love the Bible because it gives life to us and it nourishes us. And, and Mark Dever has aptly said, pastors in churches today must recover, listen to this carefully, must recover the understanding that their primary role is to preach the Word of God. 
This must happen both for the sake of the flock and for the sake of reaching those outside the flock. Whenever pastors recover the centrality of preaching in their ministry, beneficial effects follow. Congregations are better fed and healthier, and they become better witnesses in their communities. Amen. Amen. That's, that's right. That's so good. And so the pastors of Heritage Baptist Church are absolutely committed to equipping you for the work of ministry. We're going to preach the word here. We're going to preach it faithfully, God giving us grace and help. Let me, let me give you a few more applications here. So please provide a climate and context for your pastors to give themselves to preaching and teaching. Understand that that is a major task that they bear. This is their main calling. Um, help them guard those sermon preparation days. Wives who are wives of pastors, help guard your husband's time. Take the phone call for him on Saturday when he's preparing his message and answer that phone. Number two, um, if, if pastors are equipping you for ministry, then you need to be here to be equipped. I mean, that's, that's, that's really obvious, but you need to be at church regularly. You need to be committed to a church. Number three, ask yourself, how are you receiving the Word of God on a Sunday-by-Sunday -Sunday basis? Are you growing under this ministry? If not, why? Have you asked yourself why not? Prayerfully listen to what God is saying to you. Take notes, write, think, pray, fellowship over it. Invite somebody over for lunch on Sunday and talk about the sermon. I mean, really, do that. Review it. Review it with your kids. Come to care group on Wednesday. We, I want you to know we have restructured our care groups completely so that we are... We, we are restructuring them so they are family-oriented. You can bring your kids. Just bring them. All right? So that was a problem was that we, people were coming to small group, and they had to drop their kids off at the church first. And then once they dropped their kids off at the church, then they had to drive to small group. Then they had to drive back to church, pick up the kids again. Then they had to go back home. Well, for an hour meeting, that was just, it was just too draining and hard. And so a lot of folks could not come. So we've restructured that. You can bring your kids. Now, in light of doing that, um, we are also connecting the preaching and teaching ministry of this church to, this, to the care group so that when you come to care group, that that's our time to really talk about Sunday's messages and unpack them for meaning and application in our life because we are serious not only about hearing the word here, but friends, we want to be doers of that word. And so we got to help each other be doers of the word. So come to care group. I, mean, I just want to plead with you. To, if, if you've dropped that for the last couple of years because you're just not interested or you have a fear or a phobia about getting too close to people, please die to yourself and realize you need to be there. Friends, you need to be there. The reason why you need to be there is because you are not able to live the Christian life on your own. You, you have to come to that conviction. You cannot. You think you can, but you cannot. And that's why you're not doing well, because you're trying to do it on your own. You need people. You need to be humble enough to get around people who can help you. So come to Care Group. We love you. We're, we're, we're going to help you. We're going to encourage you. And you know what? We want you to help us. You also have gifts that can help us. So what's your attitude like um, to the sermons that are preached on Sundays? Are you a passive listener or an active listener? Number two, then. The work of the saints, now I'm getting to you, is to do the work of ministry. To do the work of ministry. 
Um, if this is not already clear, let me make it clear this way um, by saying this. Ministry is not the product of the elders and staff. It's not. It's not the product of the elders and staff. The church is not a business. The church is a family. And God the Father has adopted us into his family. And in the family, everyone has a job, don't they? Everyone. See, we live in a business structure where we pay everyone else to do our job. So we might even pay somebody to come to our house and take out our trash. But that's not really ultimately how a family works. The family, in the family, the way it works is everyone has a job and a responsibility and everyone pitches in and we work together because we view the whole and we love the whole and we care more about the whole than we do about the part, which is ourself. And so ministry is not the product of the elders and staff. And so you are being equipped at Heritage for the work of ministry. You minister as you are being equipped by the Word of God. You minister also out of the gifts and the graces that God has given you. Look at Ephesians 4. We're there. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 4 through 8. Verses 4 through 8. It says this, And so you are being um, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So according to the measure of Christ's gift, each one of us has been given a gift. Okay? And so, and so we are to use the gifts God has given us for the building up of this church. God has given us gifts, not just for having them, but he's given us gifts for using them. That, that's what they're for. So when you don't use your gift in this church, you are contributing to the dysfunction of this church. Our church is dysfunctional in so much as people are not using their gifts. That, that's what makes the church dysfunctional. We're not using our gifts, and, and we're contributing to the dysfunction of this church. And, it's, and, and you know what? It, we have to be honest. It's a sinful act of disobedience for us not to use our gifts. Just as one has received a gift, listen to this, 1 Peter 4.10, just as one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. It could be any clearer in 1 Peter 4.10. Use them. When I fail to use my gift, I am being sinfully disobedient to God. This church has everything it needs for life and godliness. This church has everything it needs to do the ministry that God has called us to do. See, the issue is not do we have gifts. The issue is are we using the gifts that God has given us. So I know some, I know some of you are like, look, I, I'm just waiting for somebody to tell me what to do. No, don't wait. Okay? Don't wait for someone to tell you what to do. Now, now we'll take some credit here, okay? We need to do a better job. We, we, we need to, I think I can say this humbly, we need to do a better job of providing avenues and opportunities for you to serve and to do ministry. Believe that. We need to do a better job. But to be honest, for some of us, that's not really the issue, is it? I mean, I mean you're just happy being aloof. Maybe, for some of you, happy being aloof, they're kind of on the sideline because you know that when you come to church, you can consume and you can get all the good that you will receive on that day, 
but you don't really have to pitch in because, look, there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of things, and you're just kind of content being out there on the fringe because you don't have to really dig in and do a whole lot. And, and that's lazy. And if that's you, then hear me. Hear me very hear me very carefully here. If you have a consumer approach, not, not to this church only, but to just any church in general, if you have a consumer approach to church, I want you to know that hurts the body of Christ. It hurts the body of Christ. And I say that humbly. I say that softly. I say that carefully to you. I want you to realize that some Christians have gotten into the habit year after year of chasing down the latest and the greatest, and they go running all over town to get a little bit of this church, a little bit of that church, and, and, and they go running all around. And you know what? Look, I'm not asking you to stay at Heritage. If you're a prospective visitor, we would love for you to be here. I'm not asking you to stay here. But will you park it someplace? Oh, I say that with love and humility. Park it someplace. Pull into somebody's garage and park. It's, it's time to get settled and not moving around, shifting around from place to place. You don't do any of any church any good by that kind of mentality because people can't count on you. They don't know when you're going to be there. They, 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 you, can't, you don't develop deep relationships with people. You run from community, and especially if you feel like you're getting too close, you become uncomfortable with that, and so you run away from that. And you're living like a lone ranger Christian, and ultimately there's no context for you to use the gifts and graces God has given to you. So you're being disobedient because you have no place to use the gifts. You've got to settle somewhere and use the gifts God has given to you, but you're too busy running around, and the result is the church is not built up. And if you start adding a lot of people that do that, then you have a really shallow, unequipped, and unedified church. So that's why I'm saying the strength of this church is when we come together and we all pitch in and work for the sake of Christ. And also, if you're like that, if you have a consumer approach, a lot of theological error takes place. And you know why? It's because you keep all according everybody's theology in every different church that you go to, and you're all according it, and, and you have a hodgepodge of, of sort of theological nuances in your mind, and you're confused. And it's no wonder you're confused because you're going all over the place, and we're confused trying to parse through why you're confused. <laughs> so it creates a big mess, and, and, and we create this for ourselves. So let me give some applications here. Everyone has a role to play in this body, verse 16. A body is made whole by the sum of its parts. All of its parts. The body's not whole unless all the parts are functioning. Verse 16. So non-functioning parts are not really parts of the body, and they're expendable. They can be thrown out. They're totally expendable. I mean, consider the appendix. Do you need the appendix? What if we throw, what if we just take it out? It doesn't affect you. You can live without your appendix. You don't need that thing. All right, it's not necessary. It can be thrown out. It's expendable. But how about you in the church? Are you like an appendix? I mean, let me ask you this question very personally. If you left this church to, today, would it even matter? Would, would it have one, one single effect on the way this church runs? Would it even matter? Would anybody even feel it? Would they even care if you left? 
See, the point of you being a committed part of this body is that, so that you can minister to it and use the gifts God has given you, you in specific, to serve. So we equip you to serve. We equip you to do the works of ministry in this body and, and so that we can build a growing and thriving and dynamic community of word-centered, theologically mature, God-saturated people who are risk-takers for the kingdom and the glory of God. And, and that's why we are serious about the Word of God around here. So we want to produce this growing community. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So what the, the point of this is, Paul is saying, when each part is working properly, the body grows so that, and notice the language in verse 16, it builds itself up in love. I mean, isn't that amazing? We always think about God building his church. But do you realize we build ourselves up as every member is contributing to the ministry of the church? So th this is like a machine. The church, do you see the self-perpetuating nature of this? The church is like a machine building itself up when it's running smoothly and it's operating in the way that it's supposed to be operating. And when you use your gifts, your gifts impact the body. So I use my gift, it impacts another person. Somebody else uses their gift, it impacts the body. Uh, I think at John thirteen thirty four, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So what happens is, when the church is functioning properly, the, the world begins to look at this, and they're amazed at what's going on in that place, and they see people of destiny and people of purpose, and they're drawn to that place. They'll see a people who are radically fulfilled, and they want to be a part of that. All right? I had a conversation with a girl this week who, who saw something in me and my fiancé, and she was drawn to it. Lost, not, not a Christian, but there's something about her that she was drawn to it. She wants to come. She wants to see and so when we are functioning right, that's what happens. The world then is drawn to us. See, we don't, we don't attract the world by our clever, relevant things. All right? The world has enough of that. And we're, we're not good at that anyway. And when we, try to be, when we try to be like the world, they just laugh at us. Okay? So the best thing is to try to be like Jesus. And when we're like Jesus, people will say, I like that. I want that. I want to be around that. So it's really quite simple, folks. We are to be like Jesus. We're to be loving each other and loving Jesus. And, 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 and to get away from being on the receiving end of gifts all the time. You know, the, what have you done for me lately? See, God does not want you to be on the receiving end of gifts all the time. No, the end game is total involvement and commitment to this body. That's what God wants for us. And we have a long way to go. But you know what, folks? It's going to take a high level of commitment for you to, for this to happen. And, and so we're going to have to walk away from a consumer mindset and find out what it is that God has given for you to work with according to the graces and gifts he's given to you, and then go and do that. Do you know what God has gifted you with? All right? I'm not asking for us to take a spiritual inventory here. I'm just saying, have you ever asked somebody to speak into your life and help you identify where you're gifted? Do that. Because you need to use that gift, and you need to use it here. And if you're not using it here, 
You're not operating in the way that God has called you to operate. Everyone here, there are so many gifts here. I love you guys. You guys are full of so many gifts. It's a great church. You guys are hard workers. You're diligent. You labor hard. You volunteer like crazy around here. It's embarrassing sometimes. But but some of you are just afraid because you don't know if you're really gifted. You are gifted. Okay? God did not overlook you when he made everybody else. We're all pretty short. I mean, there's not really anybody that has their shoulders really above everybody else around here. We're all ordinary people. We're all ordinary people. Everyone who speaks, everyone who teaches, everyone who preaches, we're ordinary people. And you're an ordinary person, and you have a gift. See, there's two primary ways in summary to build a church. See, we can raise a lot of money. We can hire the best staff available. We can have a top-down program so that you can be absorbers and consumers of that. Or we can do it the Ephesians 4 way. Where, where this ministry and, and, our, and our role as elders and staff is to find out what gifts and burdens and desires God has placed on your heart, right? And then, and then equip you to do what God has called you to do. And so some of us this morning need to change our paradigm because we all own the responsibility of ministering to this body. So what's my conclusion? It's this. The purpose of equipping you is to minister. The purpose of you ministering to one another is for the edification of this body. The edification of this body is to the glory of God. We exist to equip and edify this body. We exist to equip you for ministry for the sake of edification. That's why we exist. All that for the glory of God. And so the result of this edification is that Heritage Baptist Church will become characterized by the virtues of verses 13 through 16. Look at them really quickly. And united faith, a united faith, verse 13a. We will be characterized by a maturing faith, verse 13b. We will be characterized by a doctrinally rooted faith, verse 14. We will be a church where everyone speaks the truth in love, verse 15. Everyone is equipped, verse 16b, and everyone is doing their part, verse 16c. That we may become mature in Christ. Not children and spiritual adolescents tossed all around, but there's some rootedness about our Christianity and heritage. There's some deep rootedness. We're not hopping all over the round, all, all around, but the end goal is that we help each other grow and deepen and develop. And some of you uh, need to come out of this day. Uh, I, I say this humbly. I believe that some of you need to come away from today uh, with a new attitude and a new mentality, uh, and you need to be discipled. You need to get into a relationship with people who are going to help you make advances in the kingdom of God and in your own life. There, some of you men need some dudes in your life. You need some dudes in your life who are going to be able to speak a word into your life and tell you to stop it. And some of you women need some encouragement and need some help from older women who can, who can mature you and strengthen you. And, and we need real friends so we got to establish real friendships around here, and that's going to happen in the care group. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And we need people who are going to speak some penetrating words into your life when you're veering off course. So you need to establish real and meaningful relationships 
Real, see, look, real friends are people who get past the PTA meeting. Real friends are people who get past the Kentucky game and the results of the stock market. Real friends are people who get past the sale that's on at Target. Real friends are people who are going to say some really uncomfortable things to you at times about your heart and your life. And we need to, we need to be gifts for each other. And we need to use our gifts. And God's given us a capacity to work and to serve in his kingdom. And he expects you to use it. He expects you, listen to me, to get your fingernails dirty and to work for the kingdom of God. This is your opportunity right here, right now, to roll up your sleeves and, 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 to, and, to, and to get off the, wow, won't it be great when we get to heaven someday parade? Yes, it'll be great. But, but And to get on the, this is the time to work for God and to advance his kingdom. And you're a part of that, and it's time to get on that and to be working for that. As we use our gifts together, we'll have a healthy church, and we won't be stuck in adolescence. We won't be stuck in spiritual childhood. And, and, and oh, how I pray that any cloud of cynicism or, 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 or uh, crit- critical attitudes that hover over us will be broken, and grace will rain down instead of grumbling, and care in place of criticism, and godliness as our virtue instead of gossip as our vice, because God has called us to be a people who are not stagnating, but who are moving forward, who are advancing in further development. Heritage Baptist Church, a place that advances, a place that is moving forward, a place that is doing things together for the sake of Christ. May God help us in 2010. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will take the word, uh, the Ephesians 4 word, Lord, and strip it of any, anything that I said that is errant or wrong. I pray that those things would flee away, and all things that were helpful, Lord, take those and press them home. We, we pray for grace and help. In Jesus' name. of the benediction of the scriptures. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will bring it to pass. Amen.